medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. It comes not from the examination of dead structures, but rather living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of Chinese medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese medicine. Listen into these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one -on -one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. 
I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Geological. I'm really happy to be having a conversation today with Greg Bantic. Greg is a long, long-time practitioner who currently lives in Australia. He spent a lot of time in the States. He's been very involved with our profession for a long time a teacher and school administrator and advisor for many, many years, and a practitioner who's been at it for decades. Today, we're taking a look at, we're taking a look at the learning of complex subjects, looking at what an older practitioner might have to say to their younger self, and how we navigate through those moments of learning as we grow beyond our own models of the world and start to be able to see and understand new things in the clinic. I'm really delighted to have Greg here. Greg, welcome to Geological. Thank you very much, Michael. It's good to be with you, and I appreciate you putting together these programs. I think they're very useful. Well, thank you. It's been fun for me. I always learn something. I'm sort of insatiable that way, so delighted to have you here. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about Chinese medicine in the, in the time that I've been doing it is that while there are, in some ways, some simple concepts, some very simple and flexible concepts, but they bespeak an underlying complexity. In many ways, our medicine deals with all kinds of complexity. We try to simplify it in, in service of learning it and getting some mental models so we can orient ourselves. But really, it takes, at least for me, a lot of time to learn how this stuff works. And I'm curious to hear from you, your thoughts, especially for newer practitioners. How do you approach the study of complexity, especially complex systems like the ones uh, like human beings and illness and health and all the things that we deal with every day in clinic? It's a good question and a very broad or, or deep question. I think I approach the study of Chinese medicine may be a little differently than others. I was curious. The area of complexity in learning that was of most interest to me was my life, how to live a good life. What does that really mean? And I think I saw in Chinese medicine in the early days a way to explore what that means, but also a very practical application of what you were learning in the service of others, in being able to help others. So, for example, there's an idea that I think we read repeatedly in the early texts like the Shanghan Lun or the Huangdi Neijing. If you were to expose yourself to something or to do something, then there may be uh, consequences of that. 
we know in the Neijing it says things like if you do this in, in one season or, or the conditions are such, the external conditions are such in one season, then it's likely that these problems may emerge in the following season. So we get this idea, which kind of makes sense, particularly as a beginning student, that what we eat, how we sleep and exercise, all of these things lead to developing certain things, either for the better or for the not so good. That is kind of like uh, we, we might uh, have some initial understanding of that in class and then over the years you start to keep revisiting these apparently fairly simple statements or ideas and see more and more depth in them so that when you're seeing patients that have chronic complicated diseases you can start to see back to all of the, the conditions out of which that current situation may be coming. But I think that kind of, that takes time to have that sort of perspective, even about our own life, but certainly about the life of our patients as well. So little by little. That to me has been the way that it's unfolded for me. Being an American, maybe just being a human being, actually, I don't know and wanting to get something, and especially wanting to be able to be of service to my patients. It's so inviting to think that I can get something, I can get it down, I can be effective almost immediately. There's all kinds of workshops that, that will get sold as, you're going to go back Monday morning, you're going to have these skills, you're going to be able to deal with these things. I mean, it's great to have those, and it's great to be exposed to some things that can help. But what I'm looking at here is these things that take months, years maybe, to really start to get a handle on it. And I guess the question that I've got is, how do you keep yourself going in the midst of that, especially when you don't have that sense of mastery that can only come through what you were talking about with iteration and with the passage of time and practice? I wouldn't put myself in the category of mastery of anything, except perhaps laziness. But um, <laughs> I, I think you're well aware, Michael, that, that in our tradition, we're kind of encouraged to, in our education, our initial education, it's good to be exposed to a variety of different, shall we say, schools of thought, you mm. know, different ways of approaching things. We need to acquire some basic technical skills of interviewing, of palpation. We need to point location. We need to memorize a lot about individual herbs and formulas and things. There's these kind of building blocks. And then I think we're also encouraged to stick with one way of thinking, one school of thought for a while until we develop sense of familiarity and ease of use so we can use it reliably for a, a, a wide variety of different conditions and then to maybe take on something else, another system, another school of thought that may fill gaps. And I think that's a good approach. I think what's missing in our education is training of a well-developed, balanced, subjective sensitivity. Mm, I like that uh, phrase, subjective sensitivity. Because I think that what keeps us going year after year is that we're developing, we're noticing developments, not just in our capacity to help others, but we're noticing that the way we're using the medicine, the way we're training ourselves is benefiting our life. 
then it's kind of like it has an onward leading quality to it as opposed to something that's effortful and I have to keep pushing and shoving myself to do things. We see a benefit. The benefit to us in our own personal lives is obvious. And so that has its own motivation, its own energy. It's sort of like we get marinated by the work. Only with a particular kind of effort. I would think that we see in all healthcare practitioners that there's a level of burnout and compassion fatigue and also a high degree of secondary trauma from hearing difficult stories or being with patients that are really suffering or being in a profession that's still socially marginalised. It's not an easy profession to be in from external forces on us, but also we often don't treat each other so well. So how do we kind of negotiate the burden and the privilege of being in clinic and not succumbing to kind of habits, just doing the same thing over and over again or to watch out for becoming a bit cynical or burnt out. And, and I think what we need as part of our education, but part of our ongoing development as a practitioner, is if we talk about external conditions, for example, if we're exposed to a cold, then we get sick. So what are some of the internal conditions that we can cultivate that might lead to a greater sense of ease with the work that we do? And so I think that things like um, being reflective on our uh, and curious about our own internal landscape. Mm. What is it that I'm thinking? How am I coming to these decisions? Why am I having these thoughts about this particular patient? What's my discomfort being with this person? Why do I prefer being with them and I have a bit of an aversion to that other person? Why do I spend more time with this person and I can't wait to get out of the room of that, that other person? And, and these sort of subtle background influences to how we work, I think are really important in order to not get overwhelmed in a kind of way. It's important to be noticing these things and learning how to work with them. I hear you say this, and the first thought that goes through my mind is, have you been standing in the corner of my clinic and watching me the past few months? These are exactly the kinds of things that I've been thinking about. Yeah, I guess it's probably about 42 years in. And the other day, I was getting some needles ready to use. And I was explaining, I was a new patient. And I was saying, I'm just, you'll hear me rattling around over here. I'm just getting some needles out. We use these single use sterile disposable needles, things that I've said quite a few times now. And I've unwrapped needles quite a few times over those many years. And it's very easy to take a very simple act, but something that we do over and over as just boring or something to skim through or to get through, as opposed to um, always see I can help my patient even just by explaining what I'm doing, letting them know that this is what's going on, asking them, you know, kind of inviting them to be involved, a little more involved in the relationship that we're developing. And that keeps every little moment 
of a clinic day fresh. You know, there's always something that might emerge out of it. To not just see it as a, uh, gosh, you know, how many times I've done this friggin' needle stuff, you know, how many more times am I going to do it? I think these are the sorts of subtle things that discourage us from continuing a lifelong study. When I hear you speak of it this way, it sounds like something even as small as unwrapping a package of needles is a moment to be mindful, a moment to be attentive to our patient, especially a new patient. They're hearing noises. Who knows what's going through their mind? They're probably a bit nervous. And you know, how can we take this moment where we're getting ready to do a needle and make that easeful for the person that we're with? Even though we've done this thousands of times or tens of thousands, maybe for you millions, it's always fresh for the person that's with us. Yes, and it is really for us. If the learning of complexity, if the learning of being a good doctor is to learn about life and how people get sick and how they get well again, then to wish away moments like washing our hands yet again or unpacking needles yet again is to wish away at least a part of our life. Hmm. And that, that's kind of like setting up a condition or conditions for inattention or for just getting through the day or for, you know, looking forward to lunch as opposed to just being with your patient. I want to come back for a moment to a phrase that you use because it really caught my attention. Subjective sensitivity. And the reason that it catches my attention is because so often in the practice of medicine, you know, because we get the influence from Western medicine and, you know, let's, let's face it, we live in a, in a world that is apparently dualistic. We often have this idea, at least I often have this idea, that I'm supposed to be objective about things. And, you know, the best medicine is objective. And yet I also know from experience that my own subjective landscape often holds vast amounts of information that can be helpful if I can gently access it and then use it with the patient. And Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I'm curious to hear from you more about this subjective sensitivity and how better to cultivate it beyond what we were just talking about with the mindfulness. I mean, maybe there's nothing else to do except the mindfulness, but maybe you've got some other ideas here. We've kind of gone in this direction of 
valuing or preferencing objectivity, preferencing rationality a little too far so that what's considered to be the most reliable or valuable information is the most objective, as in this is what's on a blood test or this is what's in a scan and so on. And while those things are useful, we know in clinic that they're not always accurate, often inaccurate or misleading. They don't give us the information we need to arrive at a diagnosis. So all of us as humans, including our best scientists, are left with this subjective side of ourselves. And I think our modern kind of scientific materialism has gotten good at looking at and measuring other but it hasn't turned its lens back on the measurer or who is the examiner. Mm. And I think our medicine offers us that opportunity because it grew up in an age before that sort of uh, fascination with objectivity. But then again, subjectivity, just doing what we feel like doing, being at the whim of you know this thought, that thought, this feeling and so on is also tricky and maybe not very useful both to ourselves in living a life but also towards our patients. So I would kind of say that what we need to do is develop a more objective, and that's what I mean by balanced, sensitive subjectivity. We need to really know our subjectivity. I don't think this is new to practitioners. When you're feeling the pulse, how do you know what you're feeling? You know, our teacher can say, this is what I think it is, but still you have to come and go, how do I know what this represents? What is this that I'm feeling? That knowing is also influenced to, to a degree by how we're feeling and thinking. If we're going, well, oh, my teacher says this is a wiry pulse and I can feel these particular qualities, we may be acquiring some experience in that way. But then part of our subjectivity is also, oh, I'll probably never get this. Everybody else in the class is probably doing well at it, but I'm not. I'll be the only one that doesn't really get it. And we have our own personal kind of subjectivity or things that unstabilize us, that make us feel shaky or doubtful or the opposite, overinflated or overconfident. So how do we get to know all of these factors, not just the qualities of the pulse, how do they match with these particular sets of symptoms, what does a body look like that has this sort of pulse and developing those sorts of skills, but then also the internal skills of what is my subjectivity, what are some of the things that influence it, that, that make it more soft and open and available, what are some of the things that I'm doing uh, thinking, feeling that tend to make me close down or make me judgmental or a little distant or pull back or being critical. In my opinion, I think we need to know these things to develop an objectivity about that subjectivity to be able to learn to use it well, for it to be more reliable, more predictable. It sounds a bit like a Zen koan, using our objectivity to develop our subjectivity. I mean, it, it makes sense. Mostly, it sounds like a practice, a continual coming back to and exploring and exploring and exploring, which brings me to my next question about learning from our clinical mistakes. I remember when I first went to Chinese medicine school, one of our teachers, one of our Chinese teachers actually, started off 
telling us a story of a case that he really screwed up and at some point got back on track and the patient got better. And of course, we love these stories, right? They're great stories. The rub comes in is when we're in the middle of that experience of, holy smokes, now it's not working and all the judgment kicks in and all the, oh my God, what do I do? And I think it's lovely to have the idea that, oh yeah, I'm going to learn from my mistakes. But what about keeping ourselves together in the moment where it's all just falling apart and we've got to put it back together again? What are your thoughts about that? Well, I've done it so many times. The first few hundred times was really painful and difficult. But I think it's inevitable, Michael. We're going to misread something. We're going to misdiagnose something. We're going to give too much of the right thing or not enough of the wrong thing. And we make mistakes a lot. How to cope with those things, I think, is just to be as honest and as kind towards ourselves as we can, that this is inevitable. And then to when we talk about conditions, how did it kind of come about? Not as a theoretical exercise, but how did my diagnosis come about? What were some of the things that influenced my diagnosis? How did I get there? And then how did I make the choice of that treatment? Again, we're going back to the capacity to reflect. And then there's usually, at least in my case, a whole bunch of feelings come up as well as, gosh, you know, I gave too much of that and they got a stomach upset and they were sat on the toilet for a few hours. And But then there's also the personal side again of, you know, I shouldn't have done that. My teacher would never have made that mistake and all of these sorts of maybe self-criticism and the very painful part of of our mistakes often. Or we may have a patient uh, that is really upset with us and is brave enough to tell us rather than just go away, is brave enough to confront us and point something out. I think in the moment sometimes these things are just overwhelming and we're just struggling to kind of maintain some sort of equanimity. But maybe over time as we practice, we see that these things are inevitable and hopefully not big ones, you know, that we get, we do actually improve and we have less and less blips. But in that soup of trying to more maybe like being knocked over by a wave, we can also develop some sort of sense of balanced sensitivity. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's going on. What do I need? How do I help myself through this? How do I take care of myself? And if the patient's there with you, how do I also look after this other person? We're going through this thing together. How do we care for each other? What's coming to mind is what you said a few moments ago about using that objectivity to investigate the subjectivity as well. And in this case, not just the patient and what happened, but how we got there, put ourselves in that system. We're we're a part of the treatment and to be able to see, oh, how I came to this. Oh, yeah, I see how I, I saw this. I saw that. I thought I mistook this for that and gave them this herb. And now here we are. Well. I guess we know something new now. Exactly. And I think just being honest with our patients and where appropriate to explain the process of how we got to where we got is very helpful for them. And it's also part of looking after ourselves, taking care of ourselves, not to try to be something other than ourselves. And we ourselves make mistakes. 
we say the wrong thing. You know, we're a bit short. We're a bit curt. We're doing this all the time. It's just, it's okay. Let's just try to uh, minimize the harmful effects of our work. I want to um, shift this just a little bit. I know that there's a lot of listeners to the show that are that are fairly new practitioners. At one point, you were a new practitioner. At one point, I was a new practitioner. Sometimes I feel like I go into work every day and I'm still kind of a new practitioner because who knows what I'm going to face in the day. But I'm curious to know what sorts of things... Well, let's let's make it personal here. Any advice that you might have had for you 40 some odd years ago when you were beginning this practice, things that you couldn't possibly see from the place of beginning that at this point are clearer to you now that you've spent decades doing this. What would you have to say to that younger Greg about beginning and engaging a practice? By way of brief biography, I spent the year of 82, half in a Zen monastery and half in China, uh, where I did one of the World Health Organization three-month programs and then stayed on for a couple more months. And uh, really that year was deciding for me, do I want to be a monk and live in a monastery or do I want to be a practitioner? I'd already been in practice about seven years and had helped establish a school in Australia in Brisbane at that time. So I was kind of trying to decide, but I decided at the end of the year that I would leave the monastery, but my practice would be my training hall, that be where I would continue to train myself into developing this sort of balanced sensitivity but also where I would bring that learning to the way I practice medicine and to what I would teach or impart or share with my patients. So I may not have gone on if I'd known what I know now. (laughs) Isn't that so often the case? It's difficult. At least that that particular path has been difficult. It's not been hugely financially rewarding. It's difficult in the the way I have a relationship with a large number of my patients is a very intimate one. And so I hear a lot of stories, a lot of which are very difficult or hard to hear. And that has a toll in a way, or it's a goad to my own personal practice, but it makes quite a challenging clinical life. I also am really genuinely interested in and curious about our medicine. It's so vast, it's so rich, it's so deep, which makes it so incredibly wonderful and also at times just overwhelming. It's like, am I ever really going to get good at this? You know, is there, is there such a thing? So sometimes that can be conditions for doubt. So I, would, I guess I would encourage my younger self that it's going to be, it's going to be very challenging, uh, very difficult. It may push you at times to the limits of what you think your capacities are, and it will be an ongoing inspiration there's wonderful people in your profession that you you have as colleagues, and we have this rich tradition of ancestors that we can also rely on. Not least, it's incredibly useful to alleviate the suffering of many, many people. Simply helping somebody with a sprained ankle without medications or helping them through their last days of their life with Chinese medicine and everything in between. To me, it's a very difficult and challenging and wonderful way to spend a life. 
in recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I would raise a glass and toast you to that. That's, yes, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I suspect a lot of our listeners have that experience too. Perhaps that's what has drawn them in. And, and if that hasn't drawn them in, that, that I suspect that's what keeps a lot of us in, is this very thing that you're talking about here. Greg, I, I suspect it's human nature for us to grab at the thing that's worked in the past. We go for the tool, we attempt to replicate a success that we found before. How can we keep learning and pushing beyond the usual stuff that works? Our greatest impediment to an experience of the divine was our last experience of the divine. How can we stay fresh to all of this? I I like that quote. Michael, I think if we look at what we mean by tool, there's the tools of our trade, like our needles and our herbs and so on, and our skills, our diagnostic skills. And those I think we can keep fresh by paying attention to not letting ourselves just become habituated. You know, as we've said, I'm just opening yet another packet of needles, but what's it feeling like? What am I, where am I at? What's going on? How's my patient? What are they looking like as I'm doing this? So that's one way of doing it. To me, I think one of the most kind of inspirational is that our body and mind is our tool. And so how are we using that? What, is, what actually is that? By extension, to be curious about the patient's tools, their body and mind. Minds are, um, human mind is fascinating. And to really sit and look at and listen to and touch another human being in their mind is um, just endlessly fascinating. It's very hard to be bored when we're really curious about what's going on for somebody else. So I think it, that sort of approach comes with an onward leading energy, as I mentioned before. I think we need to learn from repetition. You know, the, recently I've been trying to study some Chinese calligraphy. And my teacher, who I think is a very good teacher, gave me kaishu, you know, like a printed script of um, a very famous calligrapher mm-hmm. and said, copy these. And so I'd copy a whole bunch of them and trace them and just try to replicate them. And he'd keep pointing out how I had missed things. 
And what he was training me to do was to be able to see all of the strokes, all of the nuances of in every stroke, and then to be able to reproduce that with a brush myself. Some people go, well, that's so boring and repetitive, and yet it's not. When I talk to my fellow classmates, I look at a whole sheet of their work and they go, you know, there might be dozens and dozens of strokes on there and they go, see these two here? I think I really got these good. But there isn't a sense of I failed on all the others. You know, slowly I'm getting it. Slowly it's coming together. I'm getting a sense of it. That sort of spirit in our work is the antidote to habitual ways of doing things, to boredom, to dissatisfaction. You know, after this conversation, I don't think I'm going to be able to open a package of needles in quite the (laughs) same way I was doing it before. Well, good. (laughs) Greg, are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind this thing down? I I guess when, when I reflect back over the years, Michael, and thinking of all of the people that I've been associated with, both in in the profession, all my teaching colleagues and all my colleagues, all the many students that I've had some engagement and involvement with and quite a few patients by now, I feel very grateful that all of these interactions have really contributed so much to my life. It's to be involved in this profession and to be able to do what I've done has led to a very creative and interesting, frustrating and annoying and difficult life. So for those that are thinking about giving it a go, find some good mentors and gently wade in. It's a wonderful way to be of use to others and to yourselves. Again, Greg, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Michael. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, That's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.